You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Necessary Roughness, brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. With 11-year NFL veteran, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and captain of the National Championship Michigan Wolverines, John Jansen. And 10-year NFL veteran, two-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers, T.J. Lang. Now, here's John Jansen and T.J. Lang. Well, TJ, I guess the best way to start this one off is we had a couple teams at the bed this weekend. Absolutely implode. And now they've got to roll around in that for an entire offseason. And that would be, I don't necessarily know that you could say the San Francisco 49ers did because they weren't favored going in, although they did have a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. But the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, up 18 points. Only being able to score three in the second half, allowing the Cincinnati Bengals with a god-awful offensive line to come back and win that game in overtime. It just, to me, that was was a crime against football. I think it was one of the most shocking playoff upsets I can remember, to be honest with you. I mean, seven and a half, eight-point favorites, uh, especially with the way Kansas City was playing. Just coming off one of the all-time greatest games ever in football history, beating the Bills and the way that they were moving the ball up and down the field at will. Uh, you thought there was probably going to be no chance that Cincinnati was going to be able to stop that, which looked like it was going to be the case early in the game. They jump out mm-hmm. 14-3, they get up 21-3, and you're sitting there going, okay, yeah, let's just get ready for 6.30. This yeah, let's put, the, let's put the burgers <laughs> and, on the grill, and I'll come back when the next game starts. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, I think Kansas City fell into the same trap. We got up 21-3. All right, let's hit the cruise control, and uh, let's get out of here with the win. Get, start making those plans for uh, for L.A. Um, it was just shocking. It was a total choke job. Uh, Kansas City scored three points in the last 40 minutes of that game, including overtime. Uh, with that much talent you have offensively with Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, a really good offensive line. Uh, it, they looked like the same Chiefs team. We saw in the first six or seven weeks where people were questioning what is wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of street ball didn't look like anything was on rhythm. It didn't look like they were making any adjustments to what Cincinnati was doing defensively. Patrick Mahomes is running 20 yards behind line of scrimmage, doing 360s, looking like a ballerina, like a figure skater out there. No idea what what he's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Trying to play uh, trying to play hero ball and be Superman, and um, they just completely fell apart and. You, you combine that with the fact that not only did they fall apart, you know, they get down late in the game, go down you know, with a chance to score a touchdown. Mahomes takes a 20-yard sack, fumbles. Good thing yeah. Joe Tooney was there to recover it. But you go into overtime, they get the ball. 
And it's like, okay. Right, right. Same thing we, we were talking we about last week against yep. the Bills, right? Hey, they get the ball. Joe Burrow's never going to have the ball in his hands, and the game is over. Yeah, and that's what it kind of felt like um, since he comes up with a huge play interception. And uh, that was just the I, – I, I was shocked. I was shocked. I was pleasantly surprised because I'm – the type of guy, if I don't have a horse in the race, I'm always going to pick the underdog. And Cincinnati's yep. clearly been the underdog uh, all the whole off, the whole playoffs. Um, and it's a good story, and you got to give them credit for what they do. But you got to preface it with saying that was a complete never be meltdown there. by yeah. Kansas City, a complete meltdown. But you know what? Good for Joe Burrow. I, I think there's a lot of anomalies with this team going to the Super Bowl, though. You cool. look at their offensive line, the way that the quarterback takes hits, and they Awful. did a much better job against Kansas City. Uh, the max protections and keeping tight ends into block, the running backs into block, you're limiting what you can do in the passing game. But they, they I think they made the necessary adjustments to say, we're not going to get this dude hit. 15 more times like we did against Tennessee. we yeah. got to help these guys out, and they adjusted. And look, their, their defense stepped up. They stepped up. They made adjustments. They made plays against Kansas City in the second half. And Mahomes threw for 55 yards in the second half, two interceptions, four sacks. I mean, you got to give Cincinnati credit. They changed something up. And, and and they made the necessary halftime adjustments to go out there and give themselves a chance to win, and they, they did it. Do you think Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, the offensive staff that they have in Kansas City, have they, because Kansas City won the Super Bowl three years ago, and you look at that and you say, okay, well, we could see what we thought was going to be the beginning of the like the next dynasty. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you can't take away the fact that they've hosted four AFC championship games. That's unbelievable. But they're a team with the skills of Patrick Mahomes. Have they, have they taken the parameters off the sideboards so much and given, you know, Patrick Mahomes just the, the unbelievable leeway to do whatever the hell he wants, and it's come out in, like you said, at the beginning of the season, their whole offense seemed disjointed. Yeah. Like there wasn't any concept, and it was Patrick Mahomes running around, throwing interceptions more than he's thrown throughout the course of his career, and now at the AFC Championship game, he does the same thing. When he's running around at the end of the game and he's trying to evade rush, it's not like it's not like there was a great pass rush. Yeah, He had plenty of time, escaped, and then he's, he's running backwards. His back is turned to anything that he might be able to see. And he is, I think, overconfident in his ability to create. And I think it's the same thing with, with Eric Bieniemy, who's their offensive coordinator, and Andy Reid, who we know is the one that's actually calling the plays. They have given him a too much leeway. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the fact that the, that last possession, John, it was with a minute 30 left. It's first and goal at Cincinnati's five. At the five. That ends up with the kicking them kicking a field goal at the twenty six, a forty four yard field goal. You can't gain five yards in that offense. First down, uh, you know, one yard gain, right? Second down, Mahomes sacked for minus five. Third down was the minus fifteen yard fumble. The, thank God, you know, they got it back. That game would have been over. But Kansas City is just a finesse team. That's what that's what they've been. They're a finesse football team. They're a home run hitting team. When the home run's not there. You see Mahomes starting to try to get something going yep. to extend the plays and, and make a circus act out of it and try to try to still get a home run. Where traditional offenses, you have outlets, right? You have second guys, you have third guys, you have fourth guys. Hey, fifth guy running back, little check down. You don't see that with Kansas City's offense. If, if they got a shot play called and the shot's not there, 
Mahomes is running around and he's trying to do he's trying to make sure he gets that shot yeah. in. You don't always have to do that. And that's what hurt them uh not only in the second half against this game, but that's what people were questioning early in the season. What's wrong with them? Why are they doing this every single play? You don't have to do that. They started to get away from that and run the ball more and use the play action game more and start to get some of that physical toughness back in their offense just to get away just to get away from it in the in the championship game. I don't it's just when you look at it, I mean, it, it, the Chiefs are going to be good for a long time. They're yep. going to be good. To, well, they're going to be at the top of the AFC for a long time. So, but let me ask you this: Are they really going to be the top of the AFC? Because yes, Patrick Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, yes, they're dynamic. They're as an offense when operated as it should be with some guardrails should be almost unstoppable. But now you've got. Uh, obviously, as we're seeing Joe Burrow um, coming up in the AFC with Jamar Chase and yep. T. Martin. I mean, all of these different guys. Plus, you you look at you know Justin Herbert. He's coming along. Josh uh, Allen. Josh Allen yep. He's coming along. You've got all of these different components. Plus, I mean, the, the, Patrick Mahomes just signed that new contract, and he's taking up a huge part of the salary cap. Are they going to be able to keep? be able to keep all of these components and is Patrick or is 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 Patrick Mahomes does he have the ability to make average receivers into guys like Tariq Hill or Kelsey? Well, he should be. I mean Tyreek Hill was a fifth round pick. Uh, late, maybe six round pick. I know he was a later round pick. Some of that was off the field issues. Right, why I, he dropped. I get that. But I mean, even what he's done with, uh, you know, Hardman and Pringle and Robinson and some of these no name guys. I mean, they always seem to have a couple big plays every game. What uh, what I'm saying is they should be. They should be. When but you have, they won their Super Bowl when Patrick Mahomes was on a rookie contract, right? And you, but you look at the Kansas City Chiefs and you say, as long as you have Patrick Mahomes, you should always be in that. Mm-hmm. conversation you should always be in that conversation no matter if you lose uh, a kelsey or lose a tyree kill as long as you have patrick mahomes you should always be in that conversation it's something we've seen uh with aaron Rodgers. i mean every if you have aaron Rodgers, you have a chance every single year i'm not sure that's Mahomes is is aaron Rodgers though talent wise he is but talent you look wise, at but execution decision making uh, the decision making is what i question yeah um and it's kind of hit or miss right because there's so many plays in Aaron Rodgers, I think, early in his career. We used to get so frustrated as offensive linemen because we're like, dude, what are you doing? You're taking a sack eight seconds into the play. Yeah. And then a series Quit later, the ball he's running around for eight seconds and he throws a 50-yard dime for a touchdown. So it's like, ah, okay, like, <laughs> if you're going to do it, make sure it works. And I think you got you got to give some of these guys the benefit of the doubt that they, they do make the big – they make more plays than not, right? Um, so with Patrick Mahomes, I think that – Look, Andy Reid is probably, like you said, I mean, he's probably given leeway just to go out there and make plays because he's done it. He's proven he can do it. But now when it goes bad for them, it goes bad for them. And that's something, look, you live by the live by the deep shot, die by the deep shot. It's kind of the same as basketball. Live by the three, die by the three. Sometimes you're going to make 50% of them. Sometimes you're going to make 15% of them, right? And that's going to that's gonna kind of dictate how the game goes. And unfortunately, yesterday, they just, uh, it was confusing. It was really confusing, the fact that they couldn't get anything going. And what changed that game was, you know, the last possession of the first half. Yeah. You got a chance down there at the one-yard line. You got a chance to run a couple plays and, 
uh, your best player, you throw him the ball five yards behind the line of scrimmage, and he gets tackled at the one, you're, you're, you're out of there. Instead of going up 14, you're only up 11. Would you kick the field goal? I would have kicked the field goal. Yeah. Well, okay, it I, I have sense. no problem with the, with the call. If you got five seconds, that's plenty of time to take one shot at the end zone. You can't throw it five yards behind the line. Right. You can't do that. And Tyreek Hill, you know, is another guy who has shown that he's a playmaker. He can make a guy miss. And, okay, I, I understand it, but, no, that shot has to be in the end zone. You don't get it. It's either it a is what it is. or incomplete. It is what it is. And But that play probably gave the Bengals that momentum, that feeling of, oh, sh- we kind of dodged one, right? Yeah. Okay, let's go. We're only down 11, right? Let's go get ready for the second half. And I thought uh, – in and. Even as um, who called the game? I think it was Romo and uh, was yes. Romo and Nance who did that yep. game. Yeah, and even Romo said, "Hey, that that could be a game changing play." And I was listening on the radio. I was just getting my car here, hearing Tony Baselli on the radio too, and he talked about it. And you're kind of thinking like, "Nah, there's no way." Come on, like since he's <laughs> they're yep. not going to make comeback. But Baselli was talking about it. Um, keep just remember that play. Remember that play where they were at the one yard line and did not get any points. And it turned out to be the difference. Uh, it did, because if they got it, maybe – I mean, everything changes in the second half. You, know, you never yeah. know what happens, but – You go down um, 14, you, there's a there's a conception there offensively that's saying, okay, we got to start throwing this. we got to find a way to get back in the game. You're down 10 or 11, it's kind of like, okay, all we need is a field goal and get back into it rather than two touchdowns. So that completely changes the mindset of the opposing teams, gives them momentum, and it also says, okay – we don't have to, or, you know, you're going down 18 if they score a touchdown there. That's completely deflating heading into halftime. Now you're thinking, all right, guys, get ready to pass block. We're chucking this thing the rest of the game to try to get back into it. Yeah, that changes the whole mindset of what Cincinnati was what was able to do in the second half. It does, and we're going to we're gonna transition and talk about the second game on Sunday to uh, send the L.A. Rams to the Super Bowl. Uh, we're also going to talk about this week the Senior Bowl is kicking off, some postseason all-star games as well as our experience in those, what they mean, and the benefit that the Lions may or may not have of coaching that game. Also, uh, from two former professional athletes, should you play multiple sports um, as a kid growing up? Should you specialize? Uh, we'll touch on that subject uh, as well. All right, TJ, a game that obviously everybody in the Detroit area had their eye on, and that was you know, the headliner of that story here in Detroit is Matthew Stafford. Goes to L.A. They have built, through the course of a couple of years and through some trades, a what we would call a super team. They traded with the Detroit Lions, sent two first-round picks, this year's and next year's, and a third-round pick, I believe that's this year's as well, to the Detroit Lions in return for Matthew Stafford. They are in the Super Bowl. Was it worth it for them? At this point, was it worth it for L.A. to make that trade? Yeah, clearly. Uh, Clearly, yeah. Um, But they have to win it. They have to. Or else, um, look, Matthew Stafford has been phenomenal. He uh, played a really good game again yesterday, made some key throws on third down, and uh, late in that game, down 10, uh, to uh, come back was mm-hmm. was incredible. Uh, he also got away with huh. a horrible decision that was dropped, uh, you know, by, by Tart. Yep. Um, that changed the com- completely changed the game. Um, but, no, he's, he's, he's been phenomenal. With that being said, he has not done anything yet that Jared Goff didn't do for that team. Jared Goff took him to a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. If you're the Rams, with how much you've given up, um, you go get Odell Beckham, you go get Von Miller, 
you give with, up first with, round with, picks for seven years. With, with how much you've given up, you have to win the Super Bowl. You have to. There's nothing. Uh, there's there's no expectation rather than winning the Super Bowl for them that will justify what they've done. You can't. In the NFL, you go all in for one reason, to win the Super Bowl. You don't go all in to make it to the Super Bowl. Jared Goff made it to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to win. They have to win in my, in my mind for them to win the trade, uh, for this trade to be considered um, you know, a home run slam dunk. They have to win the Super Bowl. And for the Lions... Uh, look, uh, the jury's still out on whether uh, you know they're going to win their side of the trade with the two draft picks. Um, you have more draft capital, whether you want to use those to move up back into the middle part of the first round uh, to grab another playmaker, you can do that. That would be a win for them. Uh, whether somebody slides to you at 31 or 32, like what happens every year, um, that guy's a game changer. That you 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 win that trade as well. So, uh, but no for for the for the Rams, you have to win the Super Bowl. You have to, or else it, it was all for nothing. It was all for nothing. Giving up all these trades, yep. getting Matthew Stafford, giving up all your first round picks, giving up second third round picks uh, to go get these guys, Von Miller, Odell Beckham. It will not be worth it unless you win the Super Bowl because Jared Goff took you to the Super Bowl two years ago, and Matthew ha- Stafford took you to the Super Bowl. But to make it worth it, you got to win. And my hat's off to Les Neither GM because when he saw holes um, and when Cam Akers got hurt in the preseason, uh, they lost another running back. Daryl Henderson, yeah. Yeah, they went out and, and found Sony Michelle, yep. brought him in. They were able to, to you know, keep some semblance of a running game. Uh, when they had a receiver go down, they go out. And now some of it's luck, right? OBJ happened to be available at the time. Right. So they go out, they sign him. They trade for Vaughn Miller. And like you mentioned, when you start trading – your assets for players that are not going to be here or with a team long term. Vaughn Miller may play another, you know, couple of years, but is he going to play in LA? Is he going to try and get one more contract somewhere else? Nobody really knows that and and you know, we'll we'll find out, but you're giving up assets. You gave up two first round picks. Yeah. Uh for Matthew Stafford, you're 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 mortgaging your future and you mentioned something with uh when you came in with Stoney and I on Monday morning. This is really what Aaron Rodgers has wanted Green Bay to do. Yeah. Go all in for yeah. one year, for one chance to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, and I think that's what all players want. When you feel like you're close, yeah. um, you feel like, okay, I don't care as a player about next year's first-round draft pick. Well, give it up. Let's go get this guy, right, that's going to help us come win. And um, we saw the Rams do it. We saw Tampa Bay do it, bringing in Antonio Brown last year and, and Gronk and and adding to what they already had uh, with Tom Brady. We saw them do it. Yep. Um, and I think that was a, a major frustration with Aaron Rodgers last year because he that's all he's ever wanted. They've always been one or maybe two players away from getting over that hump. And teams like Green Bay just traditionally, historically – Never, they always want to build for the future. Yeah, they're moving and on. If if I was a player, dude, hell, I'd love to play in L.A. Because you know they're giving you everything possible to succeed. Um, there's some other teams that don't do that. There's some other teams that treat first-round picks like gold, and there's no way, even if it helps them get to the Super Bowl, that they're going to give those up, Green mm-hmm. Bay being one of them. And um, so I, I you, you, you can appreciate what L.A.'s doing. You can appreciate it from the player's perspective saying they believe in these guys and they're going to go right. get every piece possible to help them win a freaking Super Bowl. And you know what? If they win a Super Bowl, who gives a 
about the first round pick. <laughs> Who gives a about the first round pick next year? We won the freaking Super Bowl. That's what it's all about. Now, generically speaking, you would like to build a Super Bowl contender every single year. Yeah. But if you win that one Super Bowl, that's all you need. That's all you need. And that's just what L.A., you can respect it. But from my point of view, I get asked all the time, and especially the last couple of weeks, look, I'm a Lions fan first and foremost, right? Yep. When it comes down to the draft, I want them to get the best draft, the best pick. Last week against Tampa, if Tampa would have won, that would have been the 25th pick. Yeah. Looks a lot better than 31 or 32. Even this week, yep. hey, there's a chance to get 28, <laughs> right? Okay, no, that didn't work out. But, yep. you know, I, I, I do love Matthew Stafford. He was one of my good friends while I was here. With that being said, though, I've always been the guy to root for the underdog. I don't like rooting for these super teams, and it's no different than what teams are doing in basketball now, starting with, you know, years ago with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and those guys teaming up and going to win. Like, do you think Cleveland fans were rooting for LeBron James when he, when he basically, when he wanted out and went and formed a super team? Uh, no, I don't think so. His jersey. And look, Matthew Stafford isn't the, the, the player LeBron, LeBron James, James is, football, but for yeah. Detroit Lions fans, he was. I mean, yeah. he was our LeBron. He was our best player. He was our leader captain um so no i'm a lions fan and i i don't like rooting for super teams it's just you, you like to see you like an underdog story and yep. that's what that's what i've always been about so uh, i know we'll talk about it next week and lean up to the super bowl but you got a giant I can tell you right now this game. i might go out and buy a joe burrow jersey <laughs> i'm rooting for the cincinnati Bengals because it's just like it's a sweeter story you know yep. what i mean it's a sweeter story than having these super teams just kind of all get together and go just run everybody and run the table. It's yeah. it's just like, yeah, dude, I, I cheer for the underdogs. I do it in every single sport, and, and football is no different. I love Matthew Stafford. I love the fact that he's happy and he's having success. Um, I love that for him. But my Detroit fan side of me says, you know what? I'm rooting for the underdog, man. And yeah. I will be again in the Super Bowl. Well, we'll get a chance next week to dive into more of the matchup between the Cincinnati Bengals and the L.A. Rams as Super Bowl uh, weekend approaches. But um, the, a lot of the guys that these teams and all 32 teams are going to be you know, considering drafting are playing in postseason college football all star games, and I don't I don't even know how many there are. At, at one point, it felt like there were about ten of them. Um, yeah, used to be two or three. Now there's yeah. uh, now there's a bunch of them. I think which is when, good. Good for the players. Get it, it, more exposure. Yeah. Get more exposure. More opportunity yeah. to show what they can do in front of, yeah. of scouts. I think when when I came out, and it was probably about the same when you came out. It was the East West Shrine game, which was out in San Francisco. Uh, it was the Senior Bowl, which has been around a long Always time. Always been the big one, yep. And it was the Hula Bowl. I remember that one. Mm-hmm. And at, at one point, I can't remember if the Blue-Gray game was was still a thing or not. Yeah, it was around for a couple of years, I think, kind of on and off. Yeah. Uh, when um, I came out, it was the Hula – I think the Hula Bowl – um, was on hiatus, and I played in the Texas First Nation Bowl, which kind of oh, hung yeah. around for uh, five, six, seven yeah. years. Um, that NFL was kind of the PA third has one. one. Yeah, the PA Bowl. There's a bunch of them. Um, but yeah, it's uh, Senior Bowl is obviously the biggest one. That's where the biggest names go outside of probably guys that are locked into top yeah. five or top ten picks. You don't see a lot of those guys playing. or And I think even guys who declare as juniors, they're not allowed to go. Not allowed to go either. No. So you're missing uh, probably a good chunk of uh, 
uh, of some of the premier talent, at least at the top of the draft. But uh, for the coaching staff, you talk about the Detroit Lions. Yeah. I mean, this is a chance to see these guys up close and personal for a whole week. A lot of times, whether it's at the Combine or you bring these players in, uh, you know, for pre-draft visits, you only get maybe one day with them. You get a couple hours, kind of sit them down on the board, watch a little film, uh, kind of under, you know, get the understanding of, uh, hey, yeah, is this kind of gauge the football IQ, right? Yeah. Is this a guy that picks up on things quick? Is this guy who's kind of a, a boner and doesn't really know what's going on? Yeah. Is he paying attention? How's he acting in meetings? How's he acting at practice? You gauge leadership qualities. You get a whole week doing that. So um, I think there's tremendous value for the Detroit Lions to be there and to see these guys up close for a whole week. Uh, hey, who can pick up on our playbook? Who can pick up on our lingo? Who can? Uh, who's a guy that maybe we can bring in that uh, that can add leadership uh, uh, to the building? Right? Uh, you, you, it's it's a good chance for to get those guys for a whole week yep. um, to see uh, to see what they're about. And it was funny. I was listening last week, and I don't know if it was. Uh, I think it was Todd McShay, and he was talking on radio and. He's like, just look at the stats of teams that coach the Super or the Senior Bowl and how many guys they drafted from the Senior Bowl. It's incredible. But he never said it. <laughs> I'm right. like, well, give me the stats, dude. Is it like, you know, hey, maybe 30% of the draft picks that year played at the Senior Bowl or maybe four out of the seven picks were all at the Senior Bowl, right? Yeah. I, I don't know what that stat is. I'm, I'm assuming it's higher just because these coaches have a better understanding of the players. They get more in-depth, up-close look at them. Um but I think being able to coach that game adds tremendous value to them. And another interesting thing, too, is, you know, I heard, uh, I think it was Jim Nagy, who's the senior bowl uh, director or president or whatever, was talking yeah. about how uh, the Lions had the option of which team they got to coach. Um, and so right away you're thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe they want to take a look at the quarterbacks up close, right? And they chose Malik Willis, Bailey Zappi, Sam Howell over, you know, Desmond Ritter um, yeah. and a couple of the other guys. So that's kind of just an interesting tidbit. Okay, maybe they're looking at, uh, you know, Maybe they are looking at Sam Howell, maybe the late in that first. Maybe they are looking at a Malik Willis-type guy late in the first. So it's always – it adds a little bit more interesting storyline to it that – because, you, you know, the teams look at the roster and they just don't any, mini miny moan and pick. Yeah. They look at the roster and say, hey, we want to coach these guys. We want right. to really get an in-depth look at, at these quarterbacks and see what they're about. So that's something interesting to follow as well. Which one did you play in? I played in the Texas First Nation Bowl, which I that's think it was yeah. uh, the – maybe the second or third year that it was around um and what was the benefit for you i look i mean the experience was invaluable to me i mean it was i i wasn't a combine guy Uh, i didn't go to the combine i didn't get which hurt me i mean it it killed me i I thought that i would have tested really well at the combine yeah um coming out of eastern michigan in the mac we didn't play a lot of you know um super high-rated defensive lineman or anything like that. Uh, we played Michigan, Michigan State, but just during those years, they didn't really have a stud edge rusher or D-tackle that, you know, I could say, look, I played this guy. Um, so going to that game was um, – it was a it was it was prob it was huge opportunity for me because I'm looking at the roster before I even went down there and look I didn't know what to expect it being the third kind of senior bowl all star type game um, but you got 
you know, starting D tackle from Michigan was there, starting D tackle from Ohio State, starting D tackle uh, from Penn State, starting defensive end from Alabama. You got guys from the Big Ten, you got guys from the SEC, you got guys from the Big Twelve and UCLA and USC and, and, and all those big schools. That for me, coming out of Eastern, I'm like, this is my chance to show I can I can compete against these guys, yeah. against these high uh, power five type of players. So uh, for me, it was it was the experience was great, um, and it just I think without that, the only thing I would have had was my pro day. And I don't know if my pro day alone would have um, shot me up to being, you know, in that mid-round, third, fourth-round talk. I probably would have been a later-round guy. But the fact that I went down there and had a really good week against big-time players um, catapulted my name into, uh, you know, kind of that sleeper kind of territory middle-round guy and, and allowed me to, uh, to to jump up to the fourth round. So it was – it was an invaluable experience to me. It was. It was. Uh, it, it really helped propel um, where I was as a, as a prospect. Gave these yeah. scouts and other NFL coaches a chance to watch me play against big time opponents. Saying, "Okay, you know, we've got to keep an eye on this guy," and it helped. It helped a lot. Uh, I do want to ask you because you mentioned. Uh, I forget what we we're talking about. So, you know, questions that we get asked all the time. One of the questions I get asked all the time is, "Should." You know, athletes that that they're trying to earn a scholarship, they're trying to make a name for themselves. Should they specialize in one sport? And we talked about this this off air, uh, and I thought it'd be a good topic for us to talk about on on in this format because I've been around enough coaches, especially college coaches, and it doesn't matter the sport: football, basketball, baseball, hockey, gymnastics. They love well-rounded individuals. And I think there's a great misconception of if I'm going to make it in football, I can only practice football 12 months out of the year. If I'm going to make it in baseball, I can only play baseball. It was highlighted for me when I took my son to try out for a, a little league travel team, baseball. And one of the things I asked them was, you know, what if there's a, because they do play year-round, which I have no problem with, but what if there's a conflict, right? We're making this commitment to you guys and, and obviously them to us to coach my son and, uh, you know, provide a great opportunity for him to get better at baseball. What if there's a conflict during football season? What if there's a conflict during basketball season or hockey season? Because I want my son to play these multiple sports. They said, yeah. hey, during during baseball season, we want you to be committed to be, your be team. Be a baseball player. Yeah. yeah. But in the offseason, we we want players to play multiple sports. I've talked to Jim Harbaugh about it. I've talked to a number of college coaches about it. They want players to play multiple sports because even if, and, and here's my thought as well, even if you're really good at baseball, in the offseason, there's not a lot of ways to be competitive at baseball, especially here in the state of Michigan, right? It's not like you can go out right now yeah, in the middle of January months a year, yeah. and, and play a baseball game. You can create competition in a practice environment, but it's different than actual game environment. Right. So you learn how to compete. You learn how to get better at things, and it helps you in your whatever you decide is going to be your main sport, all of those different skills. Plus, being an athlete, I think growing up for me, Playing football, basketball, baseball, I you know dabbled in track a little bit, not because I was fast, but because I wanted to you you know, be throw able to a throw shot the shot, and it worked <laughs> on my footwork for basketball. It worked on my footwork for football. Yeah, um, you know the power, all of that stuff. 
Um, I believe that if you're an athlete and you put yourself in as many different situations, you learn more about how to control your body, how your body's going to respond to different things, so that when you are playing, whatever you determine is your major, you know, your, your number one sport, you're better at it because you've played these other sports. You've put yourself in so many different situations that when you are competing at your number one sport, you're better for those those you know, exposures. Yeah. Well, and there's so many correlations too, right? I mean, going from, uh, you know, like my son is only 10, you know, hockey and baseball are his two biggest sports. There's so many correlations just with hand-eye coordination, yeah. just with understanding how you generate power from your legs, right? Your hips, uh, whether it's shooting a puck or whether it's swinging a baseball bat. Yep. Um, the correlation between, you know, understanding how to use your body properly. I, I think the training is is invaluable. Um, there's nothing wrong in my mind with, uh, you know, trying to specialize in one sport. If you're maybe a junior or a senior and you say, okay, uh, it looks like football is going to be my path. Maybe it would be smart to stop playing hockey. Maybe it would be st- smart to stop doing this and just try to focus, right? Um, there's nothing wrong with that. However, I fear, you know, for my son, uh, look, there we have battles all the time because travel hockey is a lot. I mean, it's yeah. August until pretty much April. And then you have a couple months and we sneak baseball in there. But the worry that I have with kids that specialize in one, in one sport is the burnout factor. Yeah. You, you don't want these 10, 12, 13-year-old kids um, feeling like it's starting to become a job to them, right? Because I notice it with my son all the time. February, March hits, and he'll kind of look at me and be like, Practice when's again. baseball start? Yeah. <laughs> when, when, when we start baseball, can we go throw the baseball around? Can we go to the batting cages? And I yeah. can tell, okay, he's getting to that point. Yep, we need to shut that off. We need to find an, open up a new valve. Um, so that, for me, is the biggest worry with the one-sport athletes, that it almost puts too much pressure on you to uh, with the year-round training and with the year-round performance. Um, the other sports allow uh, some sort of outlet to go and kind of take your mind off of everything to where it doesn't feel like you're getting overwhelmed just with one sport. Um, but yeah, I think I was a I was a kid who played uh, football and baseball were my two biggest sports. I played hockey for a couple years. I played soccer for a couple years. Uh, I played basketball for one year. Soccer player then, well, when I was young, you know, yeah. talking eight, nine, ten. Okay. Um, but you know, I played basketball for one year in middle school and uh, didn't go well. <laughs> I was the one. I set a record. I was the one kid who uh, didn't score the entire season. <laughs> I was a rebounding and, yeah. and blocking machine. Fall out of every I, game. Yeah, I didn't. I did not. I think I shot the ball maybe three times the whole season. But mm-hmm. I could just tell basketball wasn't for me. But even the footwork, um, learning how to uh, compete, right? One on one battles, blocking out a guy, right? Doing some dirty work, doing some things that might be uncomfortable. Um, you start to get you start to get familiar with that feeling. Uh, I had coaches in high school who. Who always tried to you know get the offense and defense alignment to go join the wrestling team. Um, I didn't end up doing it, but you understand how that helps uh, your leverage, right? It helps uh, just the, the muscles, what you have to use, getting your hips involved, and and how, how learning how to move people, right? Um, so there's so many different sports that uh, look. If you're a football player and you're a great football player, right? You can focus on football, but you also ha- you can find other sports that are going to allow you to develop. Um, footwork or tendencies or, or, or different strengths that are going to allow you to be better at football. So mm-hmm. I'm all about um, multi-sport athletes. I, I think most people are, 
um, you, you, there's always some parents who kind of, you know, well, if I don't get my kid doing this now, he's never going to do it. That's not yeah. true. You know, you always have to remember kids develop, they grow, they get stronger, they get faster, right? Some of uh, different paces, but it's always going to happen. But, um, no, I, I think when it comes to the multi-sports, um, it is, it's the way to go. It's the way to go. And, 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 and like I said, because my biggest fear is you don't want these kids to just burn out. You know what I mean? There's, there's going to come a time I can't, you know, if I was a 10, 11, 12 year old kid and I played football year round, I probably would have ended up hating football yeah. because it probably would have felt like a job. You're right. You get to go play baseball. You get to go play hockey. It, it just, it, it, it's a different valve that you can open and it's a different outlet that kind of lets you escape everything. And you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket and put so much pressure on yourself. You can it, go do other things as well. And it's going to help develop you as an athlete. And I think college coaches love it. I think NFL coaches love it. Um, Look at a guy like Aleem McNeil. I mean, who's a 330-pound defensive tackle. That yeah. kid played center field baseball in high school as like a 280-pounder. Coaches love that, yeah. right? Because, hey, this kid can move. He's an athlete. We saw him playing this. We saw him playing that. And um, it just opens up different avenues for you, and I think it's extremely important. And I think there's – you talk about the burnout. Last thing I'll say about that is uh, whether it was in college or even in the NFL – there were guys that were just unbelievably gifted at what they did. And the reason that they had gotten to the level they were was because of that gift. And they had focused so much on one sport that when you get to the NFL or when you get to major college football, you're not willing at that point. Burnout comes in a lot of different factors. You could just say, screw it, I'm done. The others, there's others that say, you know what? Hey, I've, I've done this my entire life. I don't want to put in the work that is required for me to get to the NFL or yeah. to stay in the NFL. And that, to me, is the biggest crime of, of the burnout factor when guys are actually there. And you would think, hey, I'm so close to, to getting to the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball, yet you don't want to put in the work simply because it's all you've known your entire life and you're just sick of it. Yeah, and you get sick of it. But, you know, the one thing I think also about different sports is – you learn very valuable um, characteristics of how to compete, mm-hmm. how to compete, right? And that's ultimately what, uh, if you want to be a successful athlete, that's what you have to really just uh, embrace is the competition. And whether it's, uh, you know, football where you have 22 guys on the field, whether it's basketball where you only have 10, whether it's wrestling where it's one-on-one, it's mm-hmm. you versus the other guy, um, you develop uh, characteristics and traits on how to learn how to compete. And that's the biggest thing. When you, the best players I ever played with, whether it was college, whether it was the NFL, those guys hated losing more than they loved winning. Mm-hmm. There was, right, there was games where, yeah. you know, even me as an offensive lineman, if we just won by 30 points, but I let up a sack and maybe another hit, pissed off. I was pissed. I wasn't happy with the win because I was pissed because I didn't, right, I got beat. I, I, I got beat in the competition. Uh, and the team still succeeded, which I was happy about. But, no, I was, I was not happy with my performance. And you learn those, you learn those characteristics from competing in – other sports, baseball, hey, it's me versus the pitcher. I'm up to plate. Hey, it's basketball. I got to box this guy out to get this rebound. Hey, I have to make this free throw. Whatever it is, you learn those lessons, and and you learn them at a young age. And when you do end up, obviously, specializing in one sport, whether it's late in high school or heading into college, 
you now you have a bunch of different tools. Now you have a bunch of tools in your toolbox. Instead of just knowing what football competition feels like, you know what it's like to hit a big time free throw with one second on the clock. You know what it's like, uh, you know, to to be a pitcher and to to need one more strike. You know that what that's like. So the more tools you can add to that toolbox, the more successful you're going to be. Well, Super Bowl 56 is coming up on Sunday, February 13. We will make sure you are ready for that um, as that gets closer. Next week's the Pro Bowl, uh, as well as, uh, hey, right after uh, the Super Bowl, Valentine's Day. Ooh, we got to make sure that uh, yeah, the Langs are ready for, for Valentine's don't Day. Don't forget, fellas. Uh, we will we'll come at you again next week. You've been listening to Necessary Roughness with Lang and Jansen.